is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Today, we talk once again to a Ukrainian in Kyiv who believes his country will prevail as Russia decides to change its military approach. Putin clearly unhappy with his army's inability to quickly defeat Ukraine, so he's appointed a new general to take charge. The nickname is the Butcher of Syria. We'll talk with a pair of analysts to see what this means. But we start with Kirill, who lives in Kiev. We spoke to him last week about what things are like in the capital, also about his friend who was in Bucha, where Russia is accused of committing war crimes. Kirill, Russia regrouping, targeting the eastern part of your country. What do you think the next few weeks or, or months are going to be like? I think uh, I think next months or weeks, uh, but I still think months uh, will be the most important because uh, yeah, they're gonna be fight at the east, and uh, I think it will be a crucial fight. But yeah, I believe uh, that uh, our uh, our forces will win eventually because the morale of Russians uh, is very low and the morale of our people, our military is uh, very high still. We we are not exhausted um, morally. Uh, they are. Uh, if you listen some of the conversation uh, between the Russian soldiers with their uh, relatives like wives uh, or mothers uh, they just exhausted they have a really really low moral they don't understand why they uh, was brought to this war so yeah i believe uh, ukraine will win eventually uh, but uh, yeah russia um, Russian militaries and uh, Russian forces bringing new and new horrible stuff like, uh, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, maybe our uh, goal, uh, there have been uh, a message from uh, our forces from Mariupol, from Azov, and they uh, they say that Russian uh, attacking the city with uh, chemical uh, chemical weapons so uh, i don't know what russia bring next but uh, chemical weapons is just uh, something uh, that it's it's horrible and there is uh, not only uh, our forces in town there is still uh, a lot of uh, people you know, I, I can hear the resolve in your voice, and that's the feeling that we have get with with all the people that we've talked to, is there is a resolve to stay and fight and win in Ukraine. And then the conversation turns to what does winning look like to you there as a Ukrainian on the ground? Uh, Russians already control some portions in the south and east. There's uh, Crimea, and uh, President Zelensky in his interview uh, last night said that uh, we are not prepared to negotiate on whether Russia can have Crimea. So how does that feel to you, winning in Ukraine? Does that mean all Russians out of Ukraine and all of your territory in your hands? Or do you feel like yourself, maybe, and some other people around you are willing to like, well, they can have this part if they leave the rest of us alone? How do you feel? I don't think we... uh 
not uh, already we're not in that point that Russia can have anything from Ukraine because uh, uh, this is uh, an opponent uh, uh, that you can give uh, you can give something you, we can give Crimea to them uh, we can give uh, Donbass areas to them we can uh, give any piece of our land uh, and uh, there, uh, there will be no victory if we do this, because Russia are always come back. And uh, if we gave something, they just come back eventually. Two years, three years, ten years, they always come back. So, yeah, the uh, victory, or uh, I believe only in victory on our terms, and I believe uh, in victory when Russia goes out from our territory in including Crimea, including parts of Donbass that they occupied. So uh, for me, yes, it, the process uh, of this can be long. I, I understand that uh, this war can have some rounds, and yeah, we can have rounds. Uh, first round, uh, and uh, maybe in two years, second round, and maybe third, and so it, it can be very painful and long war. But eventually, I believe that victory uh, will be ours, and uh, yeah, uh, th that victory uh, means that we have Crimea back. That's Kirill there from Kiev. Uh, we've spoken to him a number of times now. Uh, Kirill, thank you, and uh, we're glad that, that you are still safe and that we can still speak, and we hope to do so again. It is no secret that Russian President Putin is unhappy with the way the war is going. He's expected his army's invasion to be swift and easy. That's what he did expect. But Russia's inability to take the capital of Kiev is forced him to change his approach. Russia's decided to shift its focus to eastern Ukraine, and there's a new general in charge of the war efforts. John Spencer, retired U.S. Army Major. John, what do we need to know about this new general who's now leading Russia's war efforts? Yeah, absolutely. So he's known as the Butcher of Syria. So we can clearly expect him to get even worse. But he, he of course, can only whip you know, these Russian soldiers into... There's only so much that a leadership can do. These, these Russian soldiers are demoralized, broken apart, high casualties. Um, it is concerning. He has experience in the in the Donbass. He was a commander there before. He he's potentially their their golden boy. So um, it's interesting, but not. I don't think major. There's only so much he can do. How much do you think they're going to try to do? And there's some reporting that there's a little bit of a timeline here. There's a, a victory day um, in Russia that is about a month away or something, and Putin wants that to be some sort of big celebration. Yeah, so there's mixed um, views on whether May 9th, you know, basically them celebrating the victory over the the, the Germans in World War II. Um, I think he's pushing, he needs a win fast, not just because of that victory day, but because he's losing control. And it costs a lot to have this many soldiers deployed in, in war. Um, but he's also suffered a major defeat. He, he has to win. So I think he is pushing them harder than he ever has in the past, brought in a new commander, um, holding them to high standards. He's doing crazy things to recruit troops. I mean, everything from bringing in 65-year-old men into, as conscripts and bringing in you know, mercenaries, just, just desperate acts trying to get a win quickly. 
Uh, what happened to the Russian military? There was a feeling uh, when all this started that the Russian military was uh, greatly to be feared, that uh, they would accomplish their goal of decapitating Ukraine and basically overrunning the country within a matter of a week or two at most. Uh, Kiev was going to fall in three days. And then here we are bogged down. We've got uh, reports that some Russian soldiers are, as you say, demoralized. Uh, they don't understand why they're there. They don't like being there. Some of them are cutting and running. And then on the other hand, we've got uh, word that uh, some soldiers are committing atrocities, deliberately targeting civilians or stories of, uh, of rapes on the ground and the killing of children. So what happened to the Russian military and how did the West get our assessment of their military so wrong? Yeah, I mean, there's no certainties in war. And we, I think we all thought Russia was this big, bad military based on what they had done up to this point to modernize their military, the the numbers, um, the advancements in artillery and robotics, experiences from Syria, but where it got wrong, and, and I, I think that we all got it wrong as in the world, was underestimating the power of the will to fight in Ukraine. So the military, of course, has been highly trained. The U.S. has been advising them for, for a long time, um, prior to 2014, on how to improve the, the Ukrainian military, but there was a, a numbers problem. But there was also a capabilities problem, and all those weapons, every one of them helped. But we, I think Russia and the world underestimated the will to fight, which is huge in war. You can't just look at the numbers. Um, and, and, and clearly, like you just said, the, the Russians didn't have that. And as an old soldier myself, I know how important that is. I mean, we have our own history of just a small, literally just a few men, highly motivated and dedicated to the cause and fighting for each other, um, Believing in the in in the right, the cause they're doing from the Civil War, Chamberlain, um, you name it. There's so many examples, and, and I think we underestimated not only the Ukrainian military, but the territorial defenses and the civilians actually taking up arms. Um, in general, plus, I mean, the Russians got taught a lesson that the defense is always harder. So the the Russians really made more mistakes, clearly, but they also gave the Ukrainians time to defend their cities. And once you defend a city, I mean, that's that goes back centuries. I and mean, there's this old Chinese guy who said, the worst strategy you could ever do in war is attack a besieged city. That was true in 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. John Spencer, retired U.S. Army major, and the upcoming book, Connected Soldiers, Life, Leadership, Social Connections in Modern War. Short break, and then a retired Air Force colonel gives us more intel on this uh, new man in charge of Russia's army. We heard in the last segment about how brutal Russia's new general can be. He got that nickname, the Butcher of Syria, for his efforts in that country. Retired United States Army Colonel Cedric Layton spoke to Bridget Quinn on 1010 Winds in New York City about what we can expect from Russia's military moving forward. General uh, Alexander Dvornikov is a very uh, you know, typical Russian officer in this particular situation. He is going to uh, put out all the stops. He's going to go after in populations, and it's going to be a very gruesome and bloody affair, unfortunately, unless uh, this war stops. But as long as the war is we can expect a lot of brutality, uh, a lot of train station attacks or events similar to what we saw in Bucha, and uh, that is uh, not a good thing, obviously. Right, and we've seen so many civilian attacks already, even with this General Dvornikov not in charge. Might Russia go a step further uh, and look to use chemical weapons? 
Well, uh, Dvornikov has used those weapons when he was in Syria, or at least he was in charge of the forces that used them. Uh, so it's likely that that could happen. I hope it doesn't, but it's uh, it's certainly something that is in the realm of possibilities, yes. With Russia now uh, apparently making a push in the east of Ukraine, what else might they do differently given their inability to take the capital, Kiev? So some of, the, some of the things that they're going to do differently, Bridget, will depend a lot on the terrain in the east part of Ukraine. It's a flat area. It's known as the steppes. Uh, and it is really ideal for tank warfare. And that will make it a lot easier for them to maneuver their forces. It's also getting out of the muddy season. During the time that they were going after uh, Kiev, uh, there was a lot of uh, issue with flooding and uh, mud-filled roads and uh, areas that would prevent them from moving forward. We don't have that, generally speaking, in most of the east. So you could see a lot of tank maneuvering being done by the Russians, and the Ukrainians trying to respond to that. Uh, some people think that uh, we'll see battles like we had in World War II. Uh, those, of course, were on a map scale. They were in the same area, and in, in one case in 1942, uh, there were over 277,000 Russians uh, who were uh, either killed or wounded uh, in eastern Ukraine as they w- were fighting the Nazis in, in that period. But, uh, you know, for this particular war, uh, the numbers are going to be smaller, but it's still going to be lethal and brutal. But what could also happen is that there will still be some small unit attacks like we had around Kiev and And that would, of course, be an advantage for the Ukrainians. Colonel, also a potential advantage for the Ukrainians if they get more anti-tank weapons, right? I mean, I know Zelensky has been asking again and again, and his his, um, underlings have been asking weapons, weapons, weapons. Uh, Colonel, what weapons specifically could they use from the U.S. that they haven't been able to procure thus far? So the ones that they haven't been able to procure in great quantity are the T-72 tanks. Those are Russian-made tanks that go back to the Soviet era. Uh, But the Russians have them and the Ukrainians have them, and the Ukrainians know how to use them. That would be one weapon that uh, the Ukrainians could use that they need much more of. Um, We also expect them to use drones or to use them. Uh, The Bayraktar drone is from Turkey. That is one that they have used to great effect. But there are several other drones, such as the Switchblade drone, the U.S., uh, that's kind of a kamikaze drone, as it's known. And that goes in and it actually attacks the target and explodes uh, and disappears into the target. So it's great for armor. It's great for uh, targeting other, uh, you know, parts of the an, an infantry unit uh, and also for targeting armored personnel carriers. So this is the kind of uh, weaponry that the Ukrainians can expect. Of course, they would love to have air jets, uh, especially uh, those that can go after uh, massed units. And uh, that's something they're not going to get uh, beyond what they already have. But uh, in the ideal world, that's what they would be getting. And they would want to be able to use those very quickly, of course. As the war goes on, we're learning more about the atrocities committed by Russia's military. The mayor of the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol says more than 10,000 civilians have died since Russia invaded in February. He told the AP that bodies are throughout the streets of the city, and there are still more than 100,000 people in the city who need food and water. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. Stitcher.